how you and your kindness have brought us to this place. We pray that you would just bless our conversation as we get to know Trail and what you're doing uh, with this uh, church replant, God. We pray that your hand uh, would just be with us now. Uh, guide this conversation as you see fit. In Christ's name, amen. So uh, we've been talking about this process with, with Sylvia Circle uh, Baptist Church, and Sylvia Circle has been, uh, it was a, a church uh, plant uh, from First Baptist Church uh, in the 50s, and, uh, and it's Sylvia Circle uh, down that, that's that corridor right there, about a mile from us. So it's not very far. Uh, and uh, over the years, the, the church kind of had a, a period of, uh, of strength, a period of, of blessing in terms of numerical numbers. And then uh, over the last several years, um, probably a good number of years, the church has kind of slowly declined. And, um, uh, Albert Farrell, uh, Judy's uh, husband, um, was the, the one who kind of really, his mission was to keep that church going um, while he was alive and keep, the, keep those doors open. And um, the process kind of started with us in terms of how we got involved with it was um, a talk to Miss Mary Walls, who's, who's in the back, um, uh, one of the members at Sylvia Circle, and just said, if you want to th- talk about this church's future, why don't you talk to James Nugent, who's part of the South Carolina Baptist Convention. One of the reasons why you want to be involved in the convention is because of the different resources and different ability. And uh, James started a conversation with Sylvia Circle, and after some conversation, he said, the recommendation was, why don't you hand the the assets in the building over to Park and let Park replant that church uh, under new leadership and really watch it watch it grow, um, which really is an act of God in itself that that would even uh, become close to happen, you know, because you need to have the, the, the humility and the, the grace of the members of that church to be willing to say, we need help, to even ask James Nugent at the convention, uh, but then to say, go work with another local church and would you help us replant this thing? Uh, to reach the neighborhood around us. Uh, Sylvia Circle was historically a predominantly white congregation, and as the congregation or the community changed around them, the, there was a, a, a gap there, and they weren't uh, able to, to make an impact with, with the immediate surrounding, surrounding community. Um, so the hope was that we would find someone uh, to reach that, that community, um, you know, that, that black community surrounding the, surrounding the church. Um, so it's an act of God for what we're, what we're talking about here. When I share with other pastors this story, they look at me like, what? Someone gave you their building and their assets so that you need to replant their church for the gospel. <laughs> huh? Uh, but that's what happened. So we've been uh, working with a trail, trail, like I said, for the last, um, you know, uh, three, three months. And a trail uh, got recommended to us uh, from uh, what Pillar uh, a Network is a, is a network of like-minded uh, SBC churches. And uh, one of the executive director is good friends with the pastor, Stephen Wade, who was one, one of my professors in seminary, uh, pastor, pastoral ministry. And um, he said, why don't you talk to Trail, right? Our elders have kind of given him freedom to start looking around for opportunities to serve. And he was looking at several different places, and then kind of Rock Hill came on the map. So uh, it's been exciting kind of thinking about this whole process of what the Lord's going to do. But we really kind of want to spend some time getting to know Trail and kind of hearing his heart. So uh, Trail, why don't you first just tell us how you became a Christian? How did the Lord uh, call you to himself? Yeah. Um, so I was pretty much raised in a Christian home. Um, I say that, but in a little bit of a different way than I think that typically means. Um, my parents became Christian when I was about six or seven years old, I'd say. Um, and that was because my grandmother passed away. My mom was kind of thrown into the season of trial and tribulation. And what do you do in trial and tribulation? You start seeking the Lord, right? Um, I think she, my mom probably would have professed Christianity before then, but, um, yeah, just that tough season really forced her to start thinking about how she could leverage her life to be one that would honor, bring honor to the Lord. Um, 
And I remember being about six or seven years old and, and really kind of watching a shift in the way that my parents lived their life. And, and now as an adult, I look back at that and it's a kind of a sweet memory that I have to see how the gospel just transformed my parents' lives and how as kids, our lives were transformed as a result. Uh, so I grew up in that household, um, understood the gospel at a pretty early age because of that. But I don't think it was probably until about high school um, or middle school transitioning into high school where I really kind of started to to just ask myself the question, okay, what does it look like for me to take these things that I know and that I'm being taught and really own for myself? Um, and I was a pretty knuckleheaded kid up till about seventh grade. Um, I mean, really knuckleheaded kid. And it's almost as if I just woke up one day and, and the Lord pressed on my heart to to change the way that I was living. So that initially became somewhat of a, a merit-based faith. I was trying to work and, and earn salvation, I believe. And um, a part of that was me getting into the word every day. And well, through spending time with God and his word, I really kind of started to, to just be illuminated about um, who God really is, what he really calls his people to live like. And just the fact that it's nothing that we can do in ourselves that earns his love, but it's, it's the grace that we're afforded through Christ and what he did on the cross. Um, so yeah, I don't remember a specific day or specific uh, thing that it was that, that I can go back and look at it and say, okay, that's the point where I became a Christian. But I think there was a season where right before I went into high school, I just kind of, the Lord really grabbed a hold of my heart and gradually revealed more of himself to me, uh, taught me things about his grace and, and um, yeah, that led to a, an ongoing journey of growth. Now you were an athlete in high school and college? Mm-hmm. Played high school and college football. Okay. I, I was better than he was. I just want to get that out of the way. He says this, uh, but we've seen no <laughs> film or anything. So it's <laughs> like, no film. Where's the proof? Um, I could be changing this. Anyway, um, so I, I bring that up because I think the Lord used your um, your sports career to kind of help kind of give you a different um, goal and a passion for ministry. How did the Lord uh, kind of bring you to uh, ministry? Yeah. Um, so like Dave said, I, I played high school football and um, I was for sure a Christian. Like I was just saying, I said throughout the entirety of high school, but I was a Christian that had a, a huge idol, which was the sport of football. Um, that's kind of what my life revolved around. And um, my senior year, I'm, or my junior, the summer going into my senior year, I was pretty reputable in Georgia. Um, some of some of the larger schools were kind of looking at me and recruiting and stuff like that. And I kind of started to get a big head and just that took this idol that I had and made the idol that much bigger. Um, and I think it was the week of our first game, the Tuesday of the week of our first game, my senior year, I dislocated my shoulder for the first time. I said the first time because I ended up dislocating my shoulder 10 times throughout the course of my senior year or nine times a senior year, one time in college. Um, but yeah, so I've got this idol and I dislocate my shoulder so badly that I, my coaches and, and trainers kind of gave me the option and said, man, you know, you, college hopes were kind of in the picture, but with the extent of your injury, you've got two options. You can forfeit your senior season and um, just maybe walk on out of college if schools don't continue to show interest, or you can try to tough this out and play and risk dislocating your shoulder every time you make a tackle. Uh, and it didn't happen every time, but it happened <laughs> eight more times throughout that season. And um, I remember getting to the end of my senior year and, and a lot of the, the larger schools had backed off just because 
you know, you got this kid that's that's not the best in the in the state, but he is pretty good. But he's got this injury now that we don't really want to go anywhere near. So um, the larger schools backed off. Some smaller schools started to show some some interest. And I just remember, you know, not really knowing if I was even going to play college football. So this idol of mine is kind of being deflated. And God used that season to really just kind of to put my focus back on him. Um, and by his grace, I still signed a full uh, athletic scholarship to go play football at Cumberland University in Tennessee. Uh, and it was almost as if when I was unsure if that was going to happen, I had kind of put the idol aside and was focused on God. But as soon as the scholarship was signed, my focus went right back to football. So I go into college. I'm in my freshman year of college. Um, I start as a true freshman and we get into our, our fourth game. And after having surgery, after signing my scholarship in high school, I should have probably redshirted when I got to college from me. It takes a year off and just kind of wait till your sophomore year to actually start playing. But I didn't. I played my freshman year, dislocate my shoulder in our fourth game. And in college, they don't give you the option to make your own decision because they're paying for you. Uh, so at that point, it was like, okay, this season's over. And um, my God, really, just I think that was a time where it solidified. Like, you've got to put this down and put your focus on me. So I did. Um, I continued to play football throughout my college uh, years. I played my sophomore year. Um, here's a really cool thing. I didn't play my junior year because I was – in a really bad car wreck that summer going into my junior year of college. So I missed another season and got used also that um, just to kind of just make my focus on him more firm and, and the central uh, focus of my life. And um, then I re- recovered from that and I'm getting ready to go into my senior year. And my pastors at the church that I was at in college uh, had really kind of noticed something in me pretty early on. And they started encouraging different ministry opportunities and stuff. And one of the opportunities that they kept encouraging me to to look into was to serve at Fuge Camps. I'm not sure if y'all know what Fuge Camps is here. Um, but they encouraged me to look into Fuge Camps. And the summer, they had encouraged me to my junior summer. I was like, no, I've got these internships and stuff lined up. I don't want to go work at a camp all summer. Well, for some reason, my senior summer, I was like, all right, let's do it. Let's see. So I go to Fuge Camp um, and because they had been encouraging me to to start looking into ministry, I had already kind of started softening my, softening my heart um, and just really seeking the Lord and saying, is this something that you would have me to give my life to? So I went into that summer going to serve at camp, praying and asking God, if this is what you want me to devote my life to, then would you um, just kind of use this summer to make that clear? And to make a long story short, he did. Um, that was the summer that the Lord called me to ministry and and I kind of put my yes on the table. Uh, and I don't want to be too, am I going too long with this question? Okay, so I want to hear about what, what going back. <laughs> okay. Um, so that summer happens and to kind of give the specific call to ministry story, I'm in camp and the first week of camp goes really well. I'm thinking like, okay, this is, this is the way Christian camp is supposed to look. I've done a good job. And then the second week of camp, I felt completely opposite. I was really discouraged. And the camp speaker that summer, um, just kind of had lunch with me one day and I told him that I was wrestling with the call to ministry. And I was like, man, what do you do as a pastor? Um, when you have those weeks where you don't feel like you've been your best. And he said a quote to me that really is kind of the foundational quote of my call to ministry. He said that, um, preaching the gospel is a beautiful burden to bear because you feel the weight of the burden, but the beauty happens when the Holy spirit shows up and does the work. So we're sitting there at our lunch conversation and he says that and I'm like, Hey, yeah, yeah, man, like, give me some practical advice. Like, what can I really do? Um, <laughs> like, but then he, uh, 
we finished that conversation and I finished the week still feeling discouraged. Get into our last day of camp, which is usually an opportunity where we give campers the opportunity to give feedback and kind of share um, just what that camp experience was like, what some of their highs and lows were. And I opened the floor for my campers to give feedback. And every person in the room, despite me feeling really encouraged this week, just about every person in the room is, was like, man, when you said this in our Bible study, the Lord really ministered to me. Or when you said this, uh, this specific problem that I was facing, I understood a whole lot better and so on and so forth. And I'm sitting there and this quote comes back to mind. Preaching the gospel is a beautiful burden to bear because we feel the way to communicating it. But the beauty happens when the Holy Spirit shows up and does the work. So I'm sitting in the room and, I'm, and I basically almost have to choke back tears because I'm like, man, this is the beauty that he was talking about. Um, and I left camp that summer wanting to give my life to that. So I get back from summer camp uh, to my college town and I'm in football mode now because Christian camp is over. Now it's time to get ready to play my last year of football. And um, I had shared with my lead pastor while I was at camp, all that the Lord has, had done. And he told the leadership at our church, um, I get back, they call me up to the church, say, hey, we want to kind of run something by you. Why don't you come in? And I go in and he's like, um, he's like, man, why don't you tell them what you told me this summer? So I kind of share what I just shared with you all. And the conversation ended with them saying, okay, we told you so. Like, <laughs> we knew that the Lord had his hand on your life and that he wanted to use you um, to further his kingdom. And we, so here you are, you've said yes to being called to ministry. Here we are as a church needing for our student ministry to really just kind of be um, just ramped up and, and to have someone to put focus on that. So um, they pretty much asked me, would you take this part-time gig in your last season of football, in your last year of college, would you also give commitment to being a part-time student pastor? So I did. Um, don't know how I thought all of that stuff was going to work. <laughs> and football camp starts, and I remember being in practices, and um, my mind would be at church. So here I am physically in practice. And I'll never forget, I made a uh, an interception, which is, I don't know. Yeah, you know what <laughs> football term that means I stole the other team's ball when I tried to throw it. <laughs> um, we are in the South. <laughs> yeah. But I remember catching this interception, and as a cornerback, that's your dream, you know? Like, for my entire life, I've been playing defensive back, and, and you catch an interception, that, that, that makes your day. And I remember I caught the interception, and there was no emotion felt. And that's when I kind of went to myself, like, man, this is – I may need to consider giving this up. So I go and share with my head coach, um, or actually I don't. He approaches me because he's like, did you different in practice this year? This is your last year. You didn't get to play last season. Like, like what's going on? What's up? And I just kind of tell him, like, well, here's what the Lord did in my life over the summer. And when I'm in practice, I want to be at the church because these are the things that are consuming my thoughts now. And this, my coach, who isn't a believer even to this day, um, he says, well, why don't you pray about that? And if you feel like God wants you to go, devote your time to ministry, I'll let you keep your scholarship to just be a team chaplain for this last year. So I prayed about it. Um, some people, even my parents told me like, are you kidding me? You're going to give up your last year of football. And this has been the thing that you love most your entire life. And I did uh, I sacrificed my senior season of football to um, just give full devotion to the ministry that God had, had put before me. And, and uh, that part-time ministry ended up becoming a full-time uh, student pastor while I was in my last year of college. Now you're in a, a seminary at Southeastern. You know, mm -hmm. you got about a year left. Yep. 
About a year, and, um, year and a half. A year, what's your role currently at Faith Baptist Church? So I, I am, um, my title is Connect Minister, which pretty much means I oversee all things assimilation um, from the curbside appeal, what people see when they drive by our church, uh, the signage and stuff like that. And once people are in our church, um, the first impressions team is under my umbrella. So, okay, what impression do we give people with um, nonverbal, like non-human communication and uh, the faces that people see when they come um, oversee our membership process, kind of walking people from being a newcomer, first-time visitor to potentially becoming a covenant member of our church. I mean, under that false baptism. So it's, it's a, yeah, pretty much everything from you've never heard of this church. You saw the website, you saw a sign, someone invited you to, God has led you to feel like this is where he wants you to get plugged in and become a member. Um, so how did you uh, tell your elders that God was kind of leading you to Rock Hill? Like, what's that, what's that process and what, how did they respond? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so disclaimer, Dave said that when he first asked me about coming to Rock Hill, I said, absolutely not. And I did, <laughs> but here's the reason why. Uh, I preached at our church in October of last year. And that's when my lead pastor kind of came to me and he was like, dude, I think we need to start thinking long-term and looking at opportunities to get you ready to be sent out. And um, he said that, and we knew that opportunities would be there through Pillar. So we kind of started a conversation with them. Um, like Dave said, um, I was in communication with Pillar. They recommended my name to Dave. And um, what was your question again? <laughs> well, you came, you came here and you wanted to see some things. And you went back and shared with your elders about you wanting to come here. Hesitant at first, they kind of knew you were hesitant. And then how did they respond when you came and came back? Oh, yeah, yeah. So I was hesitant because we had just gone and looked at some potential plants in Virginia. And those plants, or the areas that those plants were in, I just, yeah. Um, I knew that the Lord wouldn't call me to an area like that. So when Dave calls me, he's like, hey, do you want to come to Rock Hill, South Carolina? I'm envisioning what I just saw in Virginia. So I'm like, nope. This was, we had just gotten met like a day ago. And I'm like, I've been there. Probably not. Um, but Dave said to come down and look at the community. So Lauren and I came. Um, we really, really loved what we saw. And, and um, God just kind of changed our heart during the time here. And even before we came, as we were looking into um, just the history of Rock Hill and stuff like that. And so I go back and I'm talking with my lead pastor, our elders, and, and um, just kind of share with them what we saw when we came and where we feel like God is leading us. And yeah, they, they almost instantly jumped on board and said, okay, well, let's, let's, let's take the, the rest of this year and get you ready. Uh, let's start talking with Dave to see what the partnership may look like. And, and here we are today. Yeah, so the, the interesting thing is that uh, Faith Baptist Church is a, is a large church. They have three services on Sunday, uh, about 1,100 people on, on a Sunday, Sunday morning, right? And, you know, we, we are who we are here. And um, we're really planning this church together, right, replanning this church together. And, and they're leaning on us, and we're leaning on them to kind of um, hey, help, help get trail ready. So they're going to be changing his role from uh, connection minister to um, a church planning resident. This church is 1,100 uh, people. They've never planted a church, right? So this is their first church plant. This is uh, with us, our, our, our first. So it really does look at this is how cooperation should work. Two churches that are like-minded who want to plant good, healthy work uh, elsewhere. So we're really excited about that. Um, moving into this role as a um, church planner and resident, what do you really want to focus on? I think the primary thing that I want to focus on um, is scripture. Like I'm, I'm really 
hoping to take the the rest of this year um, and even the, the chunk of time after that to really just be immersed in God's word and, and um, learn more about him, learn more about ways to shepherd his people well. Because um, I think, especially in this day and age, we've taken the idea of church planning and, and, and made it about uh, practical things and, and, and what we can do as pragmatists, which is good and necessary as well. But um, my primary focus is to make sure that when I get here, whatever flock God puts together, um, that I'm ready to pass to them and to, to, to lead them closer to him. Uh, so uh, any uh, theologians or writers that you uh, have particular interest uh, influence your way of thinking? Yeah. Hmm. I don't know if I say a specific theologian has really influenced me, but um, that's kind of a theological era that I really have a keen interest in, which is the era of the Reformation. Um, I mean, you, you think about Martin Luther and, and I think Ulrich and Zing, all those guys that kind of collectively took the church's focus away from um, merit and workspace salvation and, and give, gave a, a radical reminder that our salvation is found in Christ and there's nothing we can do to earn it. Um, so yeah, that era is, is I'm grateful for it. <laughs> uh, now how did you meet Lauren? We met at the camp that the Lord called me to ministry. Um, so we were both serving there as counselors. Um, you're not allowed to start dating during the camp. So we didn't. Um, so the night that the camp ended, Lauren pretty much forced me to ask her to be my girlfriend. <laughs> it's a longer story than I just told. And, and I'm sure she'll tell you if you ask her. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we, we met at, at Fuge Camps uh, in 2016. Um, so I'd like to say that I went into that camp and the Lord gave me a, a confirmed call to ministry and a wife. So I, I left in good standards. So the moral of the story is go to Fuge Camp. Um, uh, so Austin and Olivia, who are here with us, also met at that camp, and they're now married. So go Fuge Camp for Fuge sure. Camps, right? uh, parents, <laughs> if you are looking for your um, children. Um, anyway, um, so one of the reasons why I want to – one question I want to ask kind of in, in connection to that is you and, and Lauren kind of have a passion for – um, multicultural ministry, you know, and we know that in our, in our nation right now, there's a lot of uh, tension when it comes to, to race and, you know, ministry and a lot of different things kind of happening there. You want me to flesh out a little bit of, you know, your passion specifically in terms of uh, wanting a church to, to reflect heaven. Yeah. Um, so obviously I'm black and Lauren's white. <laughs> in case y'all didn't know, in case you didn't notice that this morning. Interesting. <laughs> Um, and yes, but I mean, for that reason, when Lauren and I started dating early in our relationship with, with us knowing that the Lord had called me to ministry and that's where we're headed, we really kind of, um, just started to think through, okay, what does this church look like for an interracial couple? Um, and Lauren actually, like I had, I had this understanding that interracial marriage was okay because it wasn't dishonoring to God and I can remember a conversation where one day Lauren just kind of enlightened me and she was like well babe this isn't just like this isn't just okay because God not dishonored but it's actually a really beautiful thing that we have between us because when two people from different backgrounds come together on the common ground of the gospel that brings God's glory um so I was kind of like dang girl I, I knew I liked you for some reason <laughs> 
Um, so she said that, and that just really kind of just, just struck a chord with us. We started doing research and looking into what does multi-ethnic church look like nowadays. And, um, a pastor that's really had an influence on me from a distance. I've never met him or anything, but read a lot of his stuff, listened to a lot of his preaching. Um, it's Brian Loritz who pastors out in California right now. And, um, Brian is a guy that's kind of leading the whole, or I say he was one of the first guys to, to become intentional um, in this day and age about seeing people of different backgrounds come and worship together. I think his kind of his life slogan is that he wants to see multi-ethnic church become more of a norm. Um, so that's a passion of ours, you know, because of our marriage. We think it's a ministry that God has given us because of our marriage. Um, and we really, we do believe that once we get to heaven, um, there'll be people from all nations, tribes, and tongues worshiping together. And, you know, when we think about the whole, just the concept of, of God taking us and we're in this process of, of redemption where we're being moved closer and closer to that on a daily basis, we want to be as close as we can even now here on earth. Um, so, yeah, we do want to see a church that that anyone from any background can come and worship at, especially with, you know, the, the history of Sylvia Circle, I think, um, I think it's a really cool thing that this, I guess you called it a gap when you described it, this, this gap between community and church led to a church's decline. Um, and the gap was kind of centered on racial differences. Like the, the fact that God may take Lauren and I, who were a couple in an interracial marriage, uh, and just bless us with the opportunity to to lead something that kind of undoes that and shows here's what it looks like when communities come together. Like we're 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 really really excited about that. Uh, well, what obviously you're gonna be planning this church, replanning this church. Uh, what kind of people are you kind of looking for to be part of your team? Yeah. Hmm. So as I thought through that, um, I found myself going back to just the Great Commission. Uh, God gives the local church the mission to make disciples. And as I think through that, I'm like, okay, what does it take for um, a church to have that as their primary focus? Because, you know, we got the, the interracial thing and, and wanting to see cultures come together and this and that, but that'll happen if we're intentional about making disciples and our central focus is the gospel. So when we think about people to come and be a part of that, um, I think people that love God, um, people that love his people, people that love his word um, and people that are committed to making disciples are the type of people that we were hoping to, to come and partner with us and, and to see all that the Lord might do through it. Well, that's one thing I want you to be praying about is because right, right now when we're starting this, we we're looking at all the things that God has to do to in order to kind of form a team and uh, create resources to be able to, to make this work. It takes a lot of hands and that happens. And we, we want you to pray that for a team, right? That God would raise up people from, our body and from the surrounding community to, to come together to help relaunch this work. Um, you really served us well this morning, brother, uh, with the word of God. It was extremely encouraging. You know, the people said they were really edified. Um, what do you see as the role of preaching in the life of the local church? Yeah. I think it is to do just what you just, just said, um, to edify the saints. Um, I think of, of, I believe it's Second Timothy three sixteen, where um, God makes it clear that His Word is inspired by Him, and He says it's good for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for uh, training the people up in righteousness, so that they're equipped for every good work. Um, and when I when I think about that, 
God says his word does these things and kind of the things that he wraps up with is, is for us to be people that are prepared for every good work. Um, so when we as preachers stand on a Sunday morning to preach his word, that should be our hope and, and, and our motive for standing before his people is to, to see them edified and to see them better prepared to live the lives that he's called them to. Well, two more questions. One would be, um, uh, we have the role of preaching. How about the role of discipleship in the life of the church? How does that look? And you know, how does it fleshes out in the life of a congregation? Um, so another verse comes to mind. Uh, I think in Hebrews, in the end of chapter five and the beginning of chapter six, uh, we see the author write about um, us maturing in our faith once we've come to know the Lord. And just the whole um, concept of going from being consumers of milk to being consumers of whole food. And I think discipleship is a term that we've given to say, here in the church, we want to see people mature and go from being consumers of milk to being consumers of whole food so that um, the lives they live or in, in the lives they live, uh, the sins that they've battled with in the past, that they're they going to be victorious over those things. And, and God is, is pleased with that. Um, so, yeah, discipleship is for the maturity of the saints. Well, how can we be praying for you as you kind of enter this this next phase of your life? Maybe any specific prayer requests for, for you and then maybe for the plant as well. Yeah. Um, my first prayer request is, is, or guess I guess just a, a more general prayer request is that God's will will be done. Um, as Lauren and I start looking into logistics of, of moving, um, and what life will look like here, you know, we've, we've got time, which is really great, but, um, we're going to be in Youngsville for six more months thinking about being here. And, and there's just some preparation that goes into that. So that's, Something that we would definitely appreciate. Know, Trail is a planner, right? So he kind of wants the things <laughs> lined out. He wants to like know where he's going to live yesterday, right? So this yeah. should be a sanctifying journey for you, friend. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so pray for me in that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, just, that the Lord would just kind of put logistics in place, and that um, we'd be discerning of what His will is when it comes to seeking those things out. Um, that He would start really kind of softening hearts of people that might come and be a part of the core team. Um, and that he started softening the hearts of the community around Sylvia Circle and just lost people in Rock Hill in general. Like we want to come and, and, and be a partner in the gospel for the sake of seeing the lost come to know the Lord. Um, so, yeah, if y'all could pray for those things, that'd be great. Let's do that now. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much uh, for Trail and Lauren, for the calling you place in their life. God, we thank you so so much first and foremost for, for calling them out of darkness and, and into yourself. God, we thank you that you open their eyes to the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that you would uh, be preparing them uh, through the study of your word, through uh, different books and conversations while they're in Youngsville, God, with the elders there. God, that you'd be preparing them to, to come down here and be effective on the ground. Uh, God, we pray that you would be softening uh, their hearts um, and just trusting you with all the logistical things that, that are required to, to, to moving and uh, where to live and all those details. I pray your hand would be upon them, that they would just trust you in them. And God, we do pray that you'd be moving a team, Father, of people from um, from Georgia to North Carolina to Rock Hill, God, who want to be part of this work, Father, to, to see a multi-ethnic, multi-generational church uh, that loves the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that loves the, uh, the saints, that loves the lost, Father, um, to grow and continue to grow for your glory. God, we do pray you'd soften the hearts of uh, the Sylvia Circle community, 
God, that their hearts would be softened to hear the gospel. So when the gospel goes forth, and when they hear it, it would fall on fertile soil and produce fruit. God, as we heard today, we don't want to be lukewarm. We want to be hot and cold. We want to be useful for the kingdom of God. So we pray our church, Park Baptist, would be useful for the kingdom of God as we labor hard after you. We pray Sylvia Circle would be useful for the for the glory of God. We pray for Trail and Lord, they'd be useful for the kingdom of God, that you'd be glorified with their lives. Uh, so, Father, all that you want to do, we do just humbly bow and say, not our will, but thy will be done. We want your will for our church and for this new church uh, replant, God, that your, your will would be done, that you would receive glory and fame um, in all the earth. We ask this in Jesus' name.